Well, let me say good morning to you, to my Oakdale Faith family, and to those of you that might be tuning in or joining us online. And let me encourage you to grab your Bible and turn on your device and turn with me to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. Over the course of the last few weeks at Elkdale, we've been walking through the Gospel of John, particularly looking at the statements that Jesus makes concerning I am. Seven times in the Gospel of John, Jesus will make this I am declaration. And in these declarations, he is describing to us who he is, why he has come, and our need for him. He will say things like, I am the light of the world, or I am the bread of life, or I am the good shepherd, or last week he uh, told us that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And today in John chapter 15, we find the last recorded I am statement of the seven. Now next week we'll go backwards a little bit to John chapter 11 and see I am the resurrection and the life as we celebrate Easter together. But for today we're looking at John 15. Allow me, if you will, to read to you the first 11 verses of John chapter 15, where Jesus says, I am the true vine. John chapter 15, starting in verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. Verse 5, I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he is that bears much fruit. For apart from me he can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered up and thrown into the fire and burned. Verse 7, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Now verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Let's pray together. Father, I ask you now as we walk through this text of Jesus declaring he is the true vine, that you would reveal to us the beauty of the passage, the meaning of your words, that it would speak to our hearts, that it would uh, convict us, Lord, that it would train us, that it would teach us, and that we would see Jesus. We would see Jesus afresh and anew. Father, I pray this morning for the one who's listening, who's tuning in, that is not certain about their faith, not certain about their walk with you. And so, Lord, I pray they would hear clearly what it means to be connected to Christ. Lord, I pray for the one who is a follower of you, but they find themselves downtrodden. They find themselves uh, full of anxiety and worry and sickness and distress. And uh, they find themselves having more questions than answers. I pray this morning that from the text, Lord, you would you would build them up and remind them that they are connected to you and that you give life, Father. Lord, I pray that that we would learn from your word and that your spirit would move among us in every one of our homes. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. In our text, we have what is known as Jesus' farewell discourse. 
He is about to go and be arrested and crucified and buried and ascend into heaven. And there he is now, sitting at the right hand of the Father, waiting to return. And he has his disciples in the upper room, and he's talking to them. He's giving them kind of final instructions before his horrific night, trial, beatings, and crucifixion, and ultimately, death. He has already washed their feet. He has already shared with them and instituted the Lord's Supper. He has already identified Judas as the one who will betray him, and he has left them. And now he begins to look at them and instruct them over John chapter 15 and 16 and 17. He talks about how they are to love God and love each other and be examples in the world. And then in John 17, he prays for them that they would have unity and and walk together in the days to come. We have these final messages of Jesus before his death. Now, I think we should note that all of the things that Jesus is about to face, he is still caring for his disciples. He's still tending to their heart and their need. And in it, he tells us in this passage what a true disciple looks like, what one who follows Jesus looks like, what it means to be connected to Jesus. In fact, he tells us three truths about being connected to Jesus, and I want you to see those with me. Truth number one, connection to Jesus, or in this case, connection to the vine means being in Christ, means being in Christ. Look at verse one and two with me. He says, I am the true vine. Now, what does Jesus mean by this idea of the true vine? Well, we notice first in the word that he is using this vine reference as an analogy. Now, vine or vineyard to these Jewish listeners in first century Israel would have been very clear. In fact, on their coins would have been pictures of the vine. Walking into the great temple in Jerusalem, there was golden stone-carved vines over the doors. Even in the Old Testament, Israel is referred to as part of God's vineyard or the vine of God. So for the listener in this agricultural-based society understanding that Jesus says he is the true vine, they would immediately know what he's talking about. He's talking about the vines that they see growing all around them. But I want you to notice the word true there. When Jesus says, I am the true vine, he is making sure we understand that he is the real vine, the authentic vine, the only one that is able but to carry out what he will promise. He is also making sure we understand that there are imposters, There are fake vines and false vines that some look to to find their way. But why is it important that we know Jesus to be the true vine? We'll look again at verse 1. He says, I am the true vine and my Father is the vine dresser. The connection to God the Father, the vine dresser, the gardener, if you will, the one who's over the vineyard, the connection to God is through Jesus. It's through the vine. So if we find ourselves looking for connection to God in any other place, in any other person than Jesus Christ, then we are not in the garden of God, if you will. We are not in the vine of God. We will not feel the touch of the vine dresser, the heavenly father. And so Jesus is being very clear that to be in the vine means to be in Christ. It means to be saved. It means to be a Christian. It means to be one who walks with Jesus and connected to God in heaven. He is the true vine. Now there is an exclusivity to this statement. Jesus is making sure that we understand that you will find no other path to God, no other path to the Father in heaven, but through Jesus. In fact, 
It would be so soberingly true to the disciples what Jesus is saying that in the book of Isaiah, the nation of Israel in the fifth chapter is described as a vine. But unfortunately, it's not a good thing. In Isaiah chapter 5, they are described as the vine that's run wild, the vine that's left the garden, the vine that is now astray. And even in verse five, uh, verse, chapter 5, verse 7 of Isaiah, Israel is identified as this wild-growing vine that has left God's presence. And so when Jesus comes on the scene, he is looking at his disciples and he's saying, it is not the Jewish people that are the vine. It is not the nation of Israel that is the vine. It is not the laws of Moses. It is not the religion or the rituals that will connect you to the Father. It is not your circumcision. It is not the fact that you're not a Gentile. The only thing that will connect you to the Father is Christ and Christ alone. He says in the text, I am the True vine. He is the only way to get to the vine dresser. He is the only way to hold them. And how does one do this? How does one become in Christ? Notice with me verse 2. It says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit he prunes that it may be more fruit. Now we'll get to what he means by pruning there in a moment. But the very beginning of that says this, Every branch in me. So Jesus says, I am the true vine, I am the way, I am the one that will connect you to the Father, that will connect you to the vine dresser, that will connect you to glory. I'm the one that will answer all of your questions about life and sin and redemption and death and eternal life and heaven. I am the only one that can do this. And so the question is, how do we make sure we are in the vine? How are we connected to Jesus? And he tells us in verse 2. He says, all of those, every branch that in me. Well, how does one become in Christ? Well, brothers and sisters, while you're watching this, maybe in your home, maybe on your couch, maybe in the break room of your job, I want to be very clear with you. Here's how one becomes in Christ. They must come to Jesus as Savior and Lord. What does it mean? It means receiving the gospel. The word gospel means good news. It means the news that God has sent a Savior to redeem us. So what is the gospel. How does one know they're in the vine? Well, here it is. The gospel is simply this. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He is the Son of God and the Son of Man. He left heaven and came to earth in the form of a child, and he came and he grew up as a man, keeping all of the law in perfect submission to God the Father. He never sinned once. All the laws we break, all the sins that we commit, all the things that we do that are against God, Jesus kept them perfectly. And he walked this earth in perfect obedience. And then at the age of 33 years old, in the fullness of time of God's plan, he allowed himself to be arrested and to be crucified, taking all of our sins laid on his shoulders and all of his righteousness now given to us. The gospel is this, that all of the evil that I have done has been given to Christ at the cross and all of the righteousness that he did has been accredited to me. And so now there is therefore no condemnation for those that are in Christ and that all who come to Christ are a new creation. And so Jesus bore our sins, went to the cross, it felt the wrath of God poured out on sin, was killed, died, laid down his life for us, buried in the tomb we should have been buried in. And then unlike us, on the third day, he took up his life again. He resurrected from the grave. 
And coming out of that grave, he declares, Come to me, all you are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Coming out of that grave, he declares, For whosoever calls on the name of the Lord Jesus shall be saved. Coming out of that grave, he declares, I am the way, the truth, and the life. This is the good news. How does one abide in Christ? How does one remain in Christ? How does one come into fellowship with Christ? How does one know that they are in the true vine and under the watchful care of the Father who is the vine dresser? They must lay all of their hopes, all of their dreams, and all of their sin at the feet of Jesus and say, to you and you alone is where I look. To you and you alone is where I come. Brothers and sisters, Jesus says, I am the true vine. This means you will not find God the Father in your religion or your rituals. You will not find God the Father in your morality. You will not find God the Father in your money, in your power, in your family, in your good name, in your reputation. You will not find God the Father in some uh, baptism pool or some sprinkling as a child. You will not find God the Father in any other way than to come to Jesus. You must turn from your sins and turn to Jesus. Jesus makes this clear and definitive statement. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. If you want to get to God, you must be connected to Jesus. You must come to Jesus. And before I leave this point, I want to give you a warning. Look at verse two again. In verse two, it says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away The idea here of taking away means that there are fake branches, there are false branches, there are those who believe they are in Christ, but they are not. And to be taken away means to be bundled up and cast away. In fact, he will make this point in verse 6. Look at verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branch is gathered up and thrown into the fire and burned. There is a warning here, brothers and sisters. There is a warning here, my friends. The warning is simply this. If you are not in Christ... If you're not saved by Christ, if you're not connected to Christ in the vine, then eventually one day, one day either through your death or through the return of Christ, he will gather up all of those who are not with him, who are not in him, who are not under his gardening care, and he will cast them away for all of eternity. He will cast them away. And you might say, well, what does this mean? Well, we have in front of us the example of Judas. Just a few chapters before this, Judas, who walked with Jesus, who talked with Jesus, who ate with Jesus, who watched Jesus perform miracles, who found himself in the religious rituals of the disciples, but yet he was not in Christ. And when the time came, he was cast away. Oh, brothers and sisters, I urge you, I beg you, I plead with you today. Be in Christ. Let me give you a second idea, a second marker of one who is a disciple, one connected to the vine. That's simply this. A connection to the vine means being in Christ. A connection to the vine means bearing fruit. In verses 2 through 6, he will tell us that those that are really in Christ, those that have come to Christ, those are walking with Christ, those are connected to the true vine, that they will be different, that it will be evident in their life, that you will see them bearing fruit. This is what he calls for. Look with me at verse 2, and let's read again those verses. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. We've already addressed that. Every branch does not bear fruit, he prunes, that it may be more fruitful. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. That that means the disciples that are with Jesus are already saved. They're already in the vine. They've, They've been washed because they've chosen to stay with him and follow him. They've obeyed his word. Then in verse 4, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides the vine. 
Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he that bears much fruit. For apart from me, he can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch that withers, a branch that's gathered and thrown into the fire and burn. We have here this idea that being connected to Jesus means you will bear fruit. And so we have to ask the question, what does he mean by bear fruit? Well, there are a couple of things we can draw from. We could certainly draw from Paul's writings in the book of Galatians where he talks about spiritual fruit. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23, he says, But the fruit of the Spirit, there it is, the fruit, the displays that's seen in the believer. But the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And against such things there is no law, meaning they are showing that they're walking with Christ. It could be that Jesus means simply the idea of keeping up with the great commandments. And that is simply that Jesus was asked, what are the greatest commandments? And he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And the second is like this, love your neighbor as yourself. So maybe bearing fruit here means that we love the Lord with all that we have, and we love our neighbor, we love people. Maybe we could think of bearing fruit as the Great Commission. Go therefore in all nations, making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so maybe bearing fruit means to be evangelists, to share the gospel. But in this context and in this passage, Jesus is not singling out one of those ideas. He's combining all of them. And he simply says, here's what it means to bear spiritual fruit. It means a life that is consistently permanently walking with Jesus and throughout the life of the one who's consistently walking with Jesus, you see the evidence of the kingdom of God working in them. You see in their marriage that it's not like the world. You see in their parenting that it's not like the world. You see in the integrity that they have at their job that they're not like the world. You see in the way that they carry their words and hold back their tongue. You see in the way they have self-control over their body. You see in the way that they give their life to the Lord Jesus in service and ministry and how they care for those who can't care for themselves. You see the evidence of the kingdom in the whole picture of their life. And this is what Jesus means. That the one who is in him is bearing fruit. But I want you to see just a couple of truths about this idea of bearing fruit that's just beautiful from the text. The first truth I want you to see inside of this is simply this. God desires for you to bear fruit. He wants you to do the good things. He wants to do that in your life. In fact, look at verse 2 again. He says in verse 2, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit takes away. But notice the second part. Every branch that does bear fruit, that means those that are connected through Christ, those that are saved, those that are following Jesus, those that are Christians that have been born again, notice what he says. He prunes them that they may bear more fruit or much fruit. Now think about that for a moment. God desires that in every area of your life you live in the kingdom, and the kingdom permeates your decisions and your actions and the way in which you behave. He desires that your marriage would bear much fruit, your parenting, your work life, your community life, your private life, your thought life, the words that come out of your mouth, that every part of it would bear the fruit of the kingdom. He desires that for you, and he's working for your good in order to do that. Now, how does he do that? The Bible says here he prunes. Now, pruning of a vine just simply means trimming back the flowers, trimming back the parts, trimming off the, the vines that aren't producing so the nutrients get all the way out to the fruit so it can bear more. You have to tame it. You have to uh, curtail it so it will do better. It will give more fruit when the season is in. 
And so what does it mean for God to prune us? Well, I want to tell you just two ideas. One, it means pain. Now, I know that that's hard to swallow, but when we see the idea of pruning, we should think of the idea of discipline. It means that God will nip and cut and tweak parts of our lives where we are out of step with his kingdom, where we're not bearing the fruit we, are, we should be bearing. And so he will trim, and trim will come in discipline. Maybe it's because of sin in our life that God begins to convict us, break us, and show us that we could be bearing more fruit if it weren't for this sin that we're harboring. Maybe it's in an area where we're being selfish and not serving. Maybe it's in our area of our relationships or in our finances where we're, we're not doing as well as we could in honoring the king, and he begins to discipline. Every trial, every struggle, every step is not that God has abandoned us. It's that God is pruning us. He's refining us. He's making us into what he knows we can be. But not only is there pain in pruning, now here's the beautiful part, there is his presence in pruning. There is no time in the garden that the gardener or the vine dresser is closer to the vine than when he's got his hands on it trimming it. What a beautiful thought for us. Even now, as we see our, our city and our nation and the world turned upside down by this pandemic, and we're walking in what is, what is something that's out of our hands and out of control. But even now, in the midst of this trial and this struggle, for those of us that are in the Lord Jesus, that are in the kingdom, we know that while it might seem like chaos and God has disappeared, in the midst of these pruning moments, God's hand is closer than it's ever been. The gardener is with us. His presence is there. So, so when we find ourselves struggling, we can be sure that the discipline of the Lord means His hand is near us. I want you to see something else from this. Not only is God desiring for you to bear fruit, but Christ is the one that is the source of our bearing fruit. He's actually doing the work through us. Notice with me the text in verse 4 and 5. Jesus says, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus tells us that the work of bearing fruit comes from being tied into the vine. Now, we know that when the Christ died and rose from the grave and ascended unto heaven, he sent back forth his Holy Spirit, and that those who are born again receive the Spirit, and the Spirit lives inside of them. And the Spirit now, if I might, in a metaphorical way, is the, the conduit for the sap of God to nurture our soul. It is the way in which we are tied into the vine. And so we find our life source in Christ. And he states in verse 5 that when we remain in him, we will bear fruit. Now, what does it mean to remain in him? Well, look at verse 3. Verse 3 says, you are already clean, meaning you've been saved because you're following me, you're trusting me, of the word that I have spoken to you. And then if you were to skip down to verse 9 and 10, Jesus will tell them, keep my commandments. To abide in Christ means simply this, to hear his word and walk in it, obey it to do what He's called you to do, to live the way He's called you to live. To abide in Christ means that we will look nowhere else for the ability to bear fruit but in Christ and His Word. We will not look to religion or rituals or philosophies. We will look to Christ and Christ alone to find our spiritual fruit and how to bear it through His nurturing. 
Jesus abides in us. God desires for us to bear fruit. Christ is the source for us bearing fruit. But we have a part to play, and that is simply obedience. Walking with God through this. Understanding that He desires for us to obey Him and then bear fruit. You might ask yourself, well, what is bearing fruit? Well, let me remind you again. Let me take you back to what we said Bearing fruit is certainly the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. It is the idea of loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, loving your neighbor as yourself. Bearing fruit means living out the great commission that we would go and make disciples of all nations. Bearing fruit means that all of those things are happening in our life. But to be even more uh, um, understandable, to be even more clear, bearing fruit means simply this, reading, knowing, and studying the Word of God and obeying what Christ has called us to do. Living and doing the word of God. In fact, in the book of James, James in the chapter 5 would say these words to us. He would say, for a man to know what's right in his heart and not to do it, it is a sin. It means simply this. We know what the Lord has called us to do. Abiding in Christ means doing what he's called us to do. And when we abide in Christ and do what he's called us to do, we can be sure that the Father is pruning us for our good health. And we can be sure that Jesus himself is working through us to bear that fruit. Jesus himself is changing us. One of the ways I think that we can often uh, uh, find ourselves understanding whether or not we're being changed by the Spirit is just opening our Bibles to 1 Corinthians 13. In 1 Corinthians 13, God gives for us through the Apostle Paul the definition of love. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not boast. It is not arrogant. It does not seek its own. It, keeps no, it holds no wrong. It holds no record of wrong. It hopes all things. It believes all things. It endures all things. It's not rude or self-seeking. It's this, it's this selfless love definition. And when we read it, we realize that in ourselves, left to our own, we are not those words. We are all selfish in our own ways. We are all rude in our own ways. We are all seeking our own in our own ways. But as the Spirit of God begins to work in us and we begin to bear fruit, lo and behold, something unseen is going on in our lives. Something deep in our soul that we can't, we can't tangibly always understand what's happening, but God through His Word is conforming us. And before long, we become a little more patient. We become a little less rude. We become seeking the goodness of others. And so we see in that example that when Jesus Christ is working in us and we're obeying, we begin to bear the fruit of the kingdom and we start to look more and more like the people that God has called us to be. And that leads us to a final truth in this text. And that's simply this. Connecting to the vine means being in Christ. Connecting to the vine means bearing fruit. But connection to the vine means enjoying spiritual blessings. It means enjoying spiritual blessings. When we are connected to Christ, when we are bearing fruit and obeying Christ and allowing the Father to prune us and Christ to work through us, when we're doing those things, we're promised blessings in return. Look with me at verse 7 through 11. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, there it is again, if my words, if I'm obeying, if I'm in fellowship, if I have loyalty to Christ, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. The first blessing that we find is simply this. We will have an empowered prayer life. We will have an empowered prayer life. He says in verse 7, if you're abiding in me and I'm abiding in you, if you're loyal to me, you know I'm going to be loyal to you because Christ does not change. He is our good shepherd. He is the vine. He is holding on to us. And when we obey him, then when we pray, we are given what we ask for. 
blood, let me stop there. We should not read this text and think that somehow Jesus is our genie in the bottle sitting in heaven waiting to answer our beck and call. We should not think him as the holy slot machine that hears our formulated prayer and gives us what we want. You should understand that if God answered every prayer we prayed, that would make us God and not him. So it is not the idea that we get whatever we ask for. The idea is simply this, that when we are abiding in Christ and we are obeying his commandments and we are living like him, then even what we ask for will be the desires to make us bear more fruit, to make us more uh, involved in the kingdom, to make us closer to the vine and the vine dresser. And as we abide, our prayers grow deeper. And as our prayers grow deeper, we abide even more. And then God gives gives us the desires of our heart because our desires are what he would want for us anyway. It is as Jesus would say, if you ask in my name, meaning if you pray with his authority and his direction and his will, you will receive what you need in order to live out what the Father has called you to do. This is prayer. H.B. Charles Jr. tells us that prayer is not so much the words we pray, but the person. He writes this in his book, It happens after prayer. He says, answered prayer is the natural overflow of a committed life. The life of the one praying is more important to God than the words of the prayer. That's what Jesus would tell us here. If your life is abiding, then your prayers will be of the kingdom and they will be answered. The blessing will be an empowered prayer life. Uh, Secondly, we have a blessing here. Not only will it be an empowered prayer life, it will be a worshipful life. A purposeful life. Your life will have meaning and be full of worship when you obey and abide in Christ, when you're connected to the vine. Look with me at verse 8. Notice what he says in verse 8. He says, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so to prove you are my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Now I love what Jesus says here. He says, when you obey me and my commandments and you abide in my love, you feel and cherish my presence and my love, and you're filled with the love that I have for you, and we're communing together, then you're going to live a life that's bearing fruit. And when you live a life that's bearing fruit, it will be pleasing to the Father in heaven. The vine dresser, the owner of the garden, if you will, will be proud of you, will be blessed by you, will be honored by you, and your life will have purpose. Why? Because you are created to bring glory to God. And when you abide in Christ and bear fruit, that's how you bring glory to God. You don't bring glory to God by grabbing a stage and preaching to millions, though some are called to do that. You don't bring glory to God by doing random acts or faking some miraculous event. Here's how you bring glory to God. In your everyday life, you live out the words of Paul in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. He says, Therefore, brothers, I urge you in view of God's mercy, offer yourselves as living sacrifices. You want to know how you bring honor to God in your life? 
Whether you're a stay-at-home mom, whether you're a school teacher, a doctor, a lawyer, you work at a factory, you're a teenager in school, you're a young boy or young girl just now beginning your faith in Christ, you want to know how you bring glory to God? You want to know, senior adult, how you bring glory to God? You bear much fruit in the name of Christ. You commune with Christ and you obey Christ. And when you're bearing fruit in your life, in every area of your life, then you are displaying the glory of God in front of a lost and dying world. And that brings Him glory and honor. God is pleased when you bear the fruit of patience and love and kindness in your marriage. God is pleased when you bear the fruit of the kingdom and how you raise your children. God is pleased when you bear the fruit of being a good citizen in your community. God is pleased when you bear the fruit of loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind and loving your neighbor as yourself. God is pleased when you work to fulfill the great commission of making disciples of all nations. God is pleased when you do those things. That brings Him glory. You don't have to be famous to bring God glory. You just have to be faithful. You be faithful and God receives the glory. And then finally, the final blessing that comes from being connected uh, to the vine, being connected to Christ, knowing that He is the true vine. Not only will you have an empowered prayer life and a worshipful life, you will have unending joy. Let us close with verses 10 and 11. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Brothers and sisters, when you're abiding in God, you have joy, unspeakable, unending, full joy of the kingdom. Peter would write it this way in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8. He says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. This undescribable joy that cannot be touched by this earthly world fills our hearts because we are abiding in Christ. We are connected to Christ as He is the true vine and we receive this joy. Now let me be clear. This does not mean that life will not be full of struggle and temptation and failure and disappointment. This does not mean that there won't be pain and suffering and sorrow and pandemics around the world. This does not mean that you won't have deep and painful hurt. But what it does mean is that no matter how low the valley may get, the joy of the Lord will reach you, will hold you, and sustain you. Why? Because when you're connected to Christ and when you're in the true vine, then you know that the Father is for you and that Christ is working in you. And as you obey His commandments, you will be able to pray the prayers that you need to pray in whatever you are facing. And you will feel and know that your life is honoring God and that will bring you joy even on the hardest days. Let me ask you, do you know the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you connected to the vine? There are two pictures throughout this passage. There is the one who is connected to Christ, that follows Christ, that obeys Christ, that walks with Christ, and that is filled with purpose, that is filled with joy. And then there is the fake ones, the branch that's not connected, the one that either by lip service or by straight rejection has not come to Christ. And the Bible says they will be gathered up and thrown away. That you must know Christ. Let me encourage you. Would you come to Christ today?
Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ came and died and rose from the grave, you can be saved. Romans 10, 13, for whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Will you come to Christ today? Will you come to the true vine? Christian, maybe you're in Christ, but you find yourself struggling. Let me remind you that all of your source of, of, of life is found in Christ. Turn to Christ. Obey Christ. Go to Christ, for this is where our joy is found. Maybe, maybe even now, as I'm going to pray, you need to start by just saying, Lord, I haven't communed with you lately. I haven't read your word. I haven't prayed. I haven't found myself coming to you as the source of my joy. Help me, Lord Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father, I ask you that as we walk through this text this morning, you would remind us that for all of our needs and wants, all of our questions, they all find their answer in Christ. That Christ is the true vine and that connection to him is where we find life. It's where we find our purpose. It's where we find our ability to pray and a joy that's unspeakable. Lord, I, I ask you, for all of those that are watching this, that, that you would just fall on them, that your spirit would fall on them. For the believer that needs to be strengthened, remind them that an obedient life walking with you brings you glory. That even in the hardest days, your pruning hand is near them. Lord, for the one who doesn't know you, who's not following you, who finds themselves outside of the, the vineyard, Lord, I pray today they would not go another step, they would not draw another breath until they cry out to you for salvation. And God, that you would save them. And Lord, even in the day in which we live where the world seems to be in chaos, we are reminded that our source of joy is not in the medical professions. Our source of joy is not in the government officials. Our source of joy is not in our own financial security or the food in our cabinet. Our source of joy is in Christ and Christ alone. And may we hold to Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.